This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, it's been weeks since the big snowstorm on December 29th, and too many roads are still covered in ice. What? gives. We're going to dig into the snow plowing problem with one of our favorite returning guests, plus a fascinating new debate over jaywalking and a remembrance for a singular Denver voice we lost this week. Oh, and a programming note. We're off on Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so don't expect us back in your feed until Tuesday morning. Today is Friday, January 13th, 2023. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the city with a lot of great places to cry. Oh. <laughs> I learned about that in the Denver Post this week, courtesy of our pal, John Wenzel, who had a, a nice write-up of, of lists of his faves. Bree, do you have a favorite place to cry in Denver? I mean, like any parking lot where I can go after I've purchased some sad fast food, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably gone to good times and sat in the parking lot and cried and ate it. In mm-hmm. secret. It's pretty good. It's, it's a pretty, pretty good pick. It's pretty depressing. It's not as beautiful as the places that John laid out, for sure. Are yeah. there no parking lots on the list? I mean, I'm a big parking lot crier, too. I don't think he <laughs> talked about parking lots. His The big one was the Botanic Gardens, which yeah. I feel like is oh, perfect. You want to cry and be seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that area but there like, are little, near the back, yeah. like where it's kind of forested, and oh. the, the back gate. That's a good, that's a good John spot Wenzel, to cry. That is some good research. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you've heard her voice already. We've got one of our favorite returning guests in the studio with us today. Uh, you know her from her terrific weed podcast for Colorado Public Radio on something. And from her fiery takes on parking on the show last month, Anne-Marie Watt is back. Anne-Marie, welcome. Hello, hello. Good to be back. Anne-Marie, do you have a favorite place to cry in public in Denver? I mean, like I said, I think my list would just be like a top 10 parking lots. Really nice yeah. parking. Hey, in Colorado, there's some parking lots with some really beautiful views. <laughs> just going to put that out there. It's true. You can cry and be like, yeah, I am small and insignificant. Hmm. I'm in this sea of a parking lot alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just me and um, the cars. Just me and the Subarus. Well, before we get into our big story of the day, I want to take just a second to remember uh, a great Denverite who passed this week. Mary Voles Chandler was uh, the longtime architecture critic for the Rocky Mountain News. As Westward's current architecture critic, Michael Paglia, wrote this week, she was one of the most significant voices in the history of Colorado architecture. Um, longtime listeners will actually remember hearing her voice on the show back in 2021 when she was one of the few defenders of the brutalism of the Denver 7 building that we could find to speak on behalf of that building. Um, Well, I revisited her um, blog 
yesterday after I learned that she passed because I, I love her as journalists do even when they retire they can't stop writing and That's she true. had this great blog she talked about that brutalist building over multiple it was like her it reminded her it reminded me of how I will just like never stop hating Rhino like she will <laughs> never stop like defending this building that most people thought was ugly and what I loved about her was like some people would call her a curmudgeon, uh, this new or not this new, but there's this movement sort of against preservation because for some reason it has to go directly against the density conversation, which I think is baloney. Bullshirt. I think it's bullshirt. <laughs> I think they can coexist. Um, what did I say last time? Shoes. <laughs> shoes. Bullshoes. <laughs> um, but she was, she was just a staunch defender of preservation in the thought process that if Denver is really special there's parts about it maybe we should keep so that people can remember and enjoy why it is special from now back you know to the late 1800s when mid 1800s when we became this version of the city and I just loved her her bullishness about it yeah her writing just was like I don't know I it's just something you don't see that much anymore she just was a staunch defender of preservation in a way that I appreciated she pissed a lot of people off but that's what really good writing does you yeah. know I, I was like I was very inspired by her I got to interview her once about this this piece of architecture that Denver threw away uh, the hyperbolic paraboloid I am pays building mm -hmm. and I just I just respected her so much for just standing in firm belief that architecture matters. Yeah, I, I love that. That's so well put. I mean, that's what I loved about her too. She was willing to go to bat for what she believed in and, yeah. and she really brought it. Um, also, I mean, I only talked to her once, but she was such a joy. Yeah. She was such a joy to talk to. It's so like, I don't know, it feels trite to say full of life now, but like she was really a, a vivacious person and uh, she will be missed. I would go to, we can put a link to the show notes, marybowlschandler.com. Her Chandler in Denver blog was sort of her post-journalism world. and But she covered a lot of things that we talk about on this show. She talked about the Loretta Heights development and the connection with the Westside Partners and their work on the golf course. Again, you may not agree with her, but I think she just always put out a very good argument for whatever she felt was worth saving. And um, she... And she talked about it even when she lost. Mm -hmm. And I just love that she never gave it up. Even if she lost a fight, she still was like, whatever, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. I think it's time to get into our big topic of the day. Last time we talked about parking, hot topic. This time we got another controversial topic. It's something we've been talking about on the show actually a little bit already, because, but it remains the biggest issue in the city. It's been two weeks now or three weeks since the big snowstorm. A lot of streets still not plowed. A lot of sidewalks still really icy. Lots of folks are saying the city isn't plowing the streets enough. And, I mean, some people are saying it's fine. Lots of opinions on all sides. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, Anne-Marie, why don't you kick us off? How are you feeling about uh, the state of our snowy streets this past couple of weeks? Okay, I'm going to apologize in advance because I think every time I'm on your show, I'm going to say something about being from Buffalo. Um, I was hoping you would. I, I'm curious about Buffalo. That's yeah. a snowy area. <laughs> this is context. Um, so a couple things. I would like to yell at every person who told me when I first moved here, oh, it just snows once in a while and then it melts immediately <laughs> and then it's like it never snowed at all. Because that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's never been true, too. I don't no. know why people would tell you that. There's all these things that I... There's all these things... Okay, so I think the larger point here is like 
Denver's climate has changed quite a bit yes. over the last several decades. And this is a part of this story, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but I think that that idea has changed. I yes. think it was like that maybe when I first moved here, like six-ish years I ago. I still don't think so. I remember battling these icebergs as a teenager oh, in yeah. high school, trying to cross streets and stuff. Yeah. Well, well I... I got to say one thing I read this week that was interesting about this and maybe is affecting, at least it affected the way I was thinking about it. Cause I came into this, the snow this winter thinking like, Oh yeah, the, you know, it'll, it'll melt. doesn't matter. The storms will be over. But in, in the spring, the last snow we had here, it does melt because the days are longer, but the December storms are, are worse and it lingers yeah. more because the days are shorter. So yeah. we actually do get less sun. So that like short term memory reinforces that impression mm -hmm. which i when oh, someone pointed true. that out i was like oh yeah i guess that is true so the december storms are particularly bad for this i think we're kind of like goldfish about it just well, also, forget every year yeah. <laughs> we forget every year and then again to go back to the changing climate thing like the right. the big snow that we got a couple weeks ago they were calling it like a march like snow right because it was so wet and it was bringing down a lot of these tree limbs yeah so things are changing mm -hmm. yes so whatever worked for denver before <laughs> And we can or argue did about not, that. Yes, <laughs> um, is clearly not working. Right. And it's like so, like most people in this city, I'm sure you live on a side street. I live on a side street. I gotta go across two, three, just like slick ice rinks to basically get to a plowed main road out of my neighborhood. Um, and it's so dangerous, especially like we don't have alleys in our neighborhood. So like for a certain part of the week, the trash cans are out in the street. And oh yeah like it's just it, it's like impassable um and i can't i mean i can't believe it <laughs> it's, it's a little it's just like it's been it's always been so shocking to me when i've lived in the city um like i would remember when i lived at congress park at first and just like like i had a lot of like elderly neighbor neighbors sure. who are out there like they're the ones responsible for shoveling their sidewalks right they can't get their cars out if they happen to be on a street that gets plowed then the plow traps your car in um it just gets i don't know i would be curious too i should ask my mom about this who brooke celebrated 50 years as a nurse in the er at porter hospital this week hey congrats Woo! brooke congrats brooke but i bet she sees a lot of broken hips around this time yeah, from yeah. folks going out to try to deal with it and then slipping and falling because it really is dangerous um the, the, I, you bring up a point too that Anne-Marie that I think we we do want to talk about is this personal responsibility thing yeah property owner responsibility like it's great in theory but it never works so maybe no. we need to change something about it and, and this is because clearing sidewalks is the property owner's responsibility that's what you're saying yes whether right? you're a that's business our, owner or a, yeah. a residential homeowner whether maybe you own an apartment complex it is your job oh, to get it right which I'm sure many talk. many folks who are renters could tell you no, my building doesn't take care no. of that. No. Well, no. Or they or they live in this fantasy land where the renters will do it. And they're not... I'm sorry. This is not bashing tenants. I just don't think it's realistic to ask the average person to do that. It's not their building. No. Um, and it's... I didn't sign up for that when I... Like, I had an no, old landlord try to be like, you, we want you guys to take over the shoveling. And I was like, what? Excuse no. me? <laughs> you can use part of my rent to hire somebody yeah. to shovel then. Yeah. It's a, like... It's it's not realistic. And right now I live in between two rental properties and not like I think the people on the left of me don't have a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> like... All right. So I feel like the question of the day is, does Denver suck at plowing? Yes. Like that's that's the question a lot of people are asking. Like, are we actually doing this wrong or are there other factors we're not thinking about? 
And um, I wanted to, to just toss this out here for discussion. This is from a, an article from Denverite back in 2019. They, it was a pretty lengthy dive into this exact question. Um, and I'm going to quote here. Uh, One major difference between Denver and both Minneapolis and Salt Lake City, which apparently get comparable amounts of snow, is Denver's separate residential plow program. These plow-equipped pickup trucks shave off only the top few inches of snow on Denver's side streets, as opposed to the 70, like, big heavy-duty plows that take care of the main streets, are, are, you know, the The regular fleet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Denver also does not plow alleys or the sides of streets and these small differences add up when you look at the snow removal effort as a whole denver's snow removal budget is about three million dollars minneapolis is about 13 million dollars a year I, so we are that, not spending did as much that number yeah did that number not blow your mind in how low it is like i'm gonna be brie davies here and say okay <laughs> Uh, the 2022 city budget included 567 million for safety Five hundred and sixty-seven million dollars for police. Could we knock like ten of that off and put it in for plat? Like, well, you know what I safety. mean? It's also it's like Abso- being I mean, able to walk on I the mean, streets. We're talking about the perception of what is safety yeah. for sure. But like, I I think that there's ways that we could take care of this. Like, maybe we next year we we dump twenty million in and buy some new plows. Oh yeah, and then. For, you know, the following years, we have another extra 10 million in there for the labor side of it and the administration, you know, keeping, you know, keeping it running. But like, I don't know. It it feels like one of those things that Denver's really dropping the ball on if we're only spending $3 million of our city budget on. I would be, that part made me not so supportive of the city being doing, I don't think the city's doing the best they can. I think they could do better. And that starts with the budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This makes me think of like, uh, I took my dog on a walk in Garfield Park over near my house. And I remember one time they were salting the walks. And how they were doing this was like someone was sitting out the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is really funny to think about mm-hmm. now. But like they were dry, they were slowly driving a little pickup truck around all the paths and somebody was just sitting out the tailgate like sprinkling salt by hand. <laughs> Like, I have to assume we've had advancements in technology where there's maybe some sort of a vehicle that could do that and not put a person in danger by putting them on the back of an open flatbed truck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we, um, this has been floating around quite a bit this week because of a certain mayoral candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, Chris Hansen. And there was, sorry? Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen. Thank you. I can't keep them all straight. There's a bajillion of them. But uh, there was a really interesting thread on Twitter um, from a planner, city planner person, um, who was talking about, you know, a lot of the reason that this that Denver's plan and other cities in the front range, the reason that they handle it this way is due to trying to manage the air quality. Um, and it's not just about the emissions from the the vehicles. It's about the kick up, the dirt kick up from the road. Yeah. Um, and so you can't just plow the streets. You have to put down something to treat it because the ice will melt and then it will get wet and slick and create or create more ice. Yeah. So they have to keep it from coming back. Um, so they talk about having to spread the, sand that's boring but <laughs> no i think it's fascinating i think people want to know about this i it's think this, it's helpful this context hard, this this hard de-icer versus the liquid de-icer yeah. that gets kicked up yeah yeah well and also it makes me think so like okay i'm for buffalo i don't think ever, any city handles this perfectly and i would point to buffalo had an, an, an ridiculous blizzard a few weeks ago where uh mm. the mayor was mia and and the streets didn't get plowed for a few days and people had to go walk out into these you know, snowbanks that are taller than you to try to get food. 
So I don't think any city has this all figured out. Mm -hmm. But I do know that, you know, the particulate stuff is not the only solution. There are cities that put some crazy... um, liquid mixture on the roads it's like beet juice or something like that i forget what it's called it's called like winter mix or something interesting but there it's just it's just to say that like all right it made sense for the front range at the time there has to be there there clearly right. needs to be a revisiting of all yeah. of us. right because we're not only looking at population changes and use of roads we're as you started this conversation we're talking about the climate changing exactly so the plan from 40 years ago is not going to work for right now well yeah and like 40 years ago no one would have ever anticipated for example this uh cold snap we had several weeks ago where it was something like 48 states at the same time yeah we're below freezing um there's no way to anticipate that and that for sure contributed to keeping the roads icy and dangerous um So I definitely, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't think Denver's doing nearly enough. I think something else that this uh, thread had pointed out is that this touches so many other problems with Denver's infrastructure. So it's not just the roads. It's like if you walk or Mm -hmm. if you bike or take other modes of transportation. If anything, that's even more dangerous and scarier. And we've we've talked about this on the show many times, but like it's almost impossible to get around certain parts of the city in general yeah. because of our missing sidewalks, which again, Jill Locantori and the Denver Deserve Sidewalks Initiative is addressed. Mm-hmm. But I think what that initiative does too is push it more to the forefront and say, Denver, look, this is what we want. Now we want safety. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like even like the bus stops will be just yeah. like encased in ice. Um, it's not, it's so unsafe for so many people. Super unsafe. And this thread was talking about how like, like, Denver's drainage system will like channel ice and snow into those uh, walkway crossings. And then I think this is going to maybe get into our next issue, Mm -hmm. which makes the intersections really hard to get through for people who are walking. It's just like it's a whole mess. And it's like at the end of the day, this is an issue that gets at just the the usability (laughs) of a city. Right. You know, Um, and it's that number is still blowing my mind. Three million. That's it. It's so paltry. Well, and that's what the other thing that this guy, Jim Charlier, was pointing out was that that was an intentional choice back yeah. in the 80s. It was it was budget constraints and it was this air quality issue. Um, I actually reached out to Dottie for a comment on this thread um, to see if they and had- And we're talking about, we've been talking about Jim Charlier's thread, right? Yeah. And Jim we Charlier. mentioned yeah. it. He's the, he's the planner. Okay. I, I just wanted to make the, connect either. the dots. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah. He, yeah. So he was talking about how this solid de-icer was contributing to the brown cloud and that was a big political problem. But um, what Dottie says is that, um, and this is just, you know, I'll, I'll post more of this into the show notes, but they say that Dottie says that they've actually changed the balance of what types of de-icing materials they've used. And they've achieved a 72% reduction in emissions from snow removal operations in the area, the central business district, um, from baseline levels of salt and sand applications established in 1989 when this whole thing was debated last. Oh, 89. So they have gotten wow. more efficient in terms of um, the climate you know, impact of the plowing operation since then. Some, something's got to give, though. I, I would say this is a great opportunity for our mayoral candidates to present a plan, not just yeah. a Twitter poll. Yeah. I would really love to discourage the Twitter poll. It makes me think less of you as a candidate. I want to know what you think we should do. Yeah. I don't want you to ask me what I need, what I think you should do. Well, for what it's worth, I 
decided to take this off of Twitter. I asked the Chris Hansen campaign directly for a response to Jim Charlier's tweet thread as well. Great. He, he says that he saw Jim's thread. He thought it was fascinating. Um, and he actually says that he thinks uh, he and Jim have a much broader agreement on the issue than anyone might realize. Um, for instance, we share a very real concern about Denver's air quality, particularly regarding particulate emissions, which Jim did a great job of detailing. Um, so it sounds like Chris Hansen will be ready for a, a broader conversation. I don't think it's just, he says specifically, like, it's not just about more plowing. That's not what he's calling for. He wants to have a real conversation about it. That's what he conveyed to me. Yeah, there's got to be something. It's just, uh, I, I can go on about this all day. I know, me too. <laughs> I was like, all right. Give. All right, well, before we move on from this issue, we, we did reach out to Jim Charlier for more, if you wanted to explain his comments a little bit more. And we got a couple of minutes with him. Our producer, Aaron O'Toole, caught up with Jim earlier this week. So we're going to hear from Jim and then we're going to go to a quick break. So it's important to remember, um, and a lot of recent arrivals might not know this, that we had a pretty um, significant brown cloud in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. Um, you, If you were coming into Denver from the west in I-70, when you come over that hill and today you can see the city, uh, in the wintertime often you just see a brown rug. You couldn't even see the city. And so it was pretty... It was pretty dense and it was it was bad. It's uh, you know, and it had implications for air quality. It was also bad for economics. The the Denver brand is blue skies and sunshine and crystal white snow and adventure and outdoor activities. And here we are with this horrible visual pollution. Um, you can't even see the mountains. So the you know, and it took a, a lot of years to address this. Um, there were a couple of studies done regionally called brown cloud studies, one in the late 80s and one, I believe, in the early 90s. And the revelation that came out of those was that one of the, uh, actually the principal cause of the brown cloud uh, was particulate matter. And the primary source of that particulate matter was the dirt thrown up off the streets by traffic. Eventually, the Front Range uh, Public Works Departments realized that with some modern snow management techniques, they could make a lot of that go away. And so that became, uh, you know, a public debate. And there certainly were pros and cons, as there are today. And uh, but most of the certainly Denver, Fort Collins, uh, Boulder and other front range cities uh, updated their snow management systems to minimize the generation of the ground cloud, which required uh, first and foremost that they plow fewer miles of street and that they make uh, less use of salt and sand. Um, so that's, a that's you know, basically how, I mean, there were other factors. It, it's expensive to plow streets, and so we wanted to reduce our budgets um, and save money. Um, there were air quality implications of the emissions that come from uh, plowing equipment and so forth, the snow plows. So all of that mattered, but the most important thing was just to reduce the uh, the direct throwing of dust up into the air from motor vehicle traffic. My concern was that um, a lot of people don't realize that if we started plowing all of our residential streets after every snowstorm and we really ramped up our snow removal program, that that would cost money. It would have air quality implications that we went through a long process to get where we are. And to some degree, we'd be backstepping. And I was just concerned that people did just simply didn't know that. And I just felt that, yeah, good debate. We should have a debate about our snow management systems. That's We should do that on a regular basis anyway. But let's look at it holistically. Let's ask ourselves, are we doing the bike lanes like we should be doing? What about the bus stops? What about the sidewalks? None of that's working today. 
So instead of let's just plow the damn streets, let's let's talk about what we're trying to do and why, what it'll cost, and let's have an informed debate about it. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. All right, and we're back. We have to hash something out because some local transit advocates have put forth a counterintuitive proposal and it's building support from city council. Passed a committee meeting earlier this week. Looks like the full council is going to discuss it. So I'm just going to put it to you two. Should Denver decriminalize jaywalking? Wait, was this counterintuitive to you, Paul? Yeah, I think it's counterintuitive. Jaywalking is like, don't cross the street without a sign. (laughs) It's bad. You might get hit by a car. I always got told that as a kid. Sure, I did too. But like, there's a reason that someone is generally doing that. It's not just willy-nilly wandering around in the street. It's like, I'm probably trying to find a way to cross the street. Never mind it safely, just accessibly in general. And I think this is a great move. I think, if anything, it's more symbolic than anything. I think that there was some data on actually how many tickets were given out for jaywalking. It was something like under around 150 135 tickets. tickets for jaywalking since 2017. For over six years. So it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think what it's doing is calling into question how we prioritize pedestrian accessibility and safety on the road, which we don't. And I think we know that. We yes. don't. Yeah. Anybody that lives in the city has seen someone playing Frogger across a busy street. I mean... I, listeners know this. I live on federal. You want to watch people run for their lives? Drive down federal. Walk down federal. I think this was an important thing. And I think my council person, Jamie Torres, was one of the folks behind it. She's one of the co-sponsors, yeah. And I appreciate and applaud her for that because she knows her district. She yeah. knows this is an issue. And I just hope that it's a jumping off point for a bigger conversation. Yeah, y'all had sent me an article about this. And I think someone in there was like, well, we don't want people just running out in a Colfax. And I'm like, uh, don't they already? I know. I was like, have Those, you been on Colfax? Yeah, I'm like, I couldn't think that... of a more street where pedestrians are yeah. wandering around. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Also, and you bring up federal, woof. <laughs> Talk about terrifying. I Absolutely terrifying. I famously complain that people don't know how to cross the street in this city. And yet, at the same time, I do sometimes have an attitude of like, well, if you're willing to take your life in your own hands. <laughs> but to me, the thing is like, federal's a great example in the last couple of years, in my section of federal, they have put these raised medians in everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like every third median, there's a tiny little walkway. Yep. So if you are a person that uses a wheelchair or a mobility device, 
you can only use that tiny section. And then otherwise, I, I get that the medians maybe are for slowing folks down, but they're just still creating more barriers for pedestrians to get across the street. And the reason that most folks are doing that along federal is because how many, I mean, there's lights, but like you may have like to- six lanes. Yeah, you <laughs> might have to wait. And you also may have to walk three or four blocks to get to a quote, safe pedestrian crossing yeah. to cross those six lanes. And if you've, if you've got children with you, if you, you know what I mean, or a person who uses a wheelchair, that's like a dangerous proposition. But also, do you, should you have to walk four blocks up to the crosswalk and then four blocks down to where you were trying to get to? No. Exactly. Well, but wouldn't, so, so decriminalize jay, decriminalizing jaywalking would say to that person, like, go ahead and cross wherever you think it's safe? I, to me, it's about a larger conversation about why people are jaywalking in the first place. Yeah, because it's so I immediately think about our last topic of conversation. You know, a lot of these crossing areas like the corner of the sidewalk where it meets the intersection is in that drainage ditch where there's a bunch of sleet and ice and snow piled up and you effectively have to go right through it if you want to cross at an intersection. So that's a problem for a lot of people. We also have we live on a side of town where a lot of the the, the sidewalks are busted up or maybe blocked um, and you might have to that you might have to just literally walk in the street mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to go where you need to go. Um, I just think it doesn't make any sense to hand out tickets for this as long as the infrastructure is what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you all think about um, Councilman Kendra Black's uh, counterpoint here? She she worries that decriminalizing jaywalking would send the wrong message to children. And that because there's been so few tickets for this, like 135 in the last six years, really not that many. What that, it? What is the message we're sending to children who are hit by cars who are in crosswalks? I was just going to say, I was like, what's the message to drivers? Yeah, I don't, that does, that's pretty hollow to me. Also, she lives, her district is a district that has giant roadways, Hampton, Monaco. I grew up over on that side of town. Crossing those streets is terrifying. Of course, you try to do your best to be in the crosswalk, but I'm not going to lie and say I didn't need to cross somewhere else as a kid when I was crossing Monaco to get to Cook Park or whatever and Mm. or where Cherry Creek Drive I mean it's just like there's a lot of ambiguity in these roads too and pedestrians are trying to navigate something that they shouldn't have to frankly I think it should be safer for pedestrians we're all pedestrians outside of our cars we seem to forget that sometimes Um, but I was looking into the history of jaywalking because I assumed it was racist you know but the, the, and that's one of the arguments for the the racial disparities and who was being ticketed here in Denver was mm-hmm. obviously overwhelmingly not white people. Um, but when I looked into the history of it, this was a response from automobile manufacturers when they started to realize that if they were going to dominate streets, they had to make it scary for pedestrians to be out there and put the onus on the pedestrian because prior to automobiles, pedestrians did rule the streets. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there weren't even sidewalk mark or there weren't even crossing marks, you know, at the turn of the last century because people didn't need them. They just walked in the street. Yeah, that was the um, the argument I found most interesting was this like historic, like before the car industry came and set, decided this was a crime. Um, one advocate, Alan Cowgill, described this. Oh, this I love Alan. idealistic vision of back in the day, we had trolleys, we had horses, we had people walking down the street, we had bicycles and the street was a public space meant to be shared by everybody. Yeah. This like shared street idea. Think about 
Do you think we can get back to that? That's so crazy and radical. Think about all the famous pictures of New York at that time. Yeah. It's a bunch of people in the street. Well, and I think that's also, when you think about the fact that, like, some of these streets that we sort of shut down for more pedestrian access during COVID, like, the fact that that some of that is becoming more permanent, Mm -hmm. I think that that's even more reason to talk about getting rid of this, right? It's like, you are inviting more people to hang out in the street, literally. (laughs) Well, and why, why couldn't we have continued on with that, um trend or however you want to call it depending on what neighborhood you live i know it's true (laughs) well i was thinking about it because i was crossing over today i was driving from logan i turned on to 12th to come down to lincoln and logan is this kind of little skinny street that would be perfect for not cars i know like it it wouldn't take that much away from cars accessibility to me it's it's to help push a, a bigger conversation that we need to be having about pedestrians in the city and their the space that they should have, we should have as pedestrians. Um, And I think that Kendra Black is wrong. I will say that. (laughs) I respect her as a councilwoman. I think she is wrong. I don't think any child is going to get some wild notion to start running in the middle of federal. Because chances are... We should ticket the children. (laughs) I know. I'm like, if you see a kid running in the street, they're probably with their parent trying to cross it. Believe me, I want these streets to be safer for my kid. It's my number one concern of staying in the house that I'm in, is my kid's going to have to cross Alameda and Federal on a regular basis. Oh, God. And it's terrifying. I don't Mm. like it. it. Hmm. Well, it seems like we've got a consensus here. This seems like a easy, easy yes easy from our from you our panel tonight. <laughs> My mind? Oh, I don't know. I honestly don't care that much about jaywalking. <laughs> 135 tickets in six years. That's it's not, not that big an issue. Anyway, we've got one more thing for you today. It's because it's the end of the week. We got our, our favorite segment. We're gonna take one more quick break, and we'll be back with that. All right, it's the end of the week here on CityCast Denver. That means it's time for the official maybe for your weekend, as in maybe you'll see us there. Because as usual, there's so many cool things happening in Denver this weekend, and we have opinions. Adrian Gonzalez rounds up his best bets in our newsletter, Hey Denver, every week, and he's here to give us his top picks. Adrian, welcome back to the show. Hello, Paul. Good morning, team. Hi. It's your uh, friendly neighborhood T.O. here to tell you about some of the things happening this weekend. Yeah. Um, Bring it on. A little bruised step, so I'll be healing a little bit this weekend from a fall on an icy sidewalk. Uh, no. Yeah, very timely. They did. Do you do you want to weigh in on the the snow plowing situation, Adrian? You know, it's an interesting conversation to me. I love hearing all the the context, the historical context of it. Um, it's always bad. It's never been good. I've lived in just about every neighborhood in Denver. Um, I will say, I should knock on wood. This is the first time I've ever fallen and slipped. So. Well, Let it be the last. Hope you feel better soon. All right, let's get into our events. Adrian, what do you got for us? All right, I got a, f- uh, a few things. The first one is actually uh, early today. Uh, it's a double header, actually. A friend of the pod, R. Allen Brooks. Uh, oh, yeah. Who Love is a, a local illustrator, art teacher, uh, just an all-around uh, great person. He is the only artist, living artist, featured in the Denver Art Museum Saints, Sinners, Lovers, and Fools exhibition which is really cool. And so today from 11 to four, he'll be signing his new book. If you come by uh, the art museum, you can come by for free. You don't have to pay admission. Um, But his new book is called The Return of Balthazar. Uh, It's a fictional time-bending sci-fi retelling of the classic story from the Bible. Cool. Yeah. So if you're a fan, get your copy of the book, get it signed, and then uh, check out the Saints, Sinners, Lovers, and Fools. It's a really interesting uh, kind of Baroque 
Flemish artworks exhibition if you're into the arts. I'm still undecided on the dam, honestly. I don't know if I'm going to go back until they take that Emma Bunker's name off the gallery. I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about that. Too. But when they support local artists, I'm, I might make yeah. an exception I do like to that. sneak in. Yeah. I, I, have, I have the same feeling. I think uh, what was the quote from a, uh, I think it was a, a prime minister or something that said, if, if we gave back all the stolen artworks in our museums, the museums would be empty, uh, which to me is hilarious because that's the point. Well, yeah. um, but a longer conversation for yeah. later on. Okay. Come get your book signed. <laughs> anyway, what else we got? All right. Second on the lineup, we have... Well, it's actually Happy Friday the 13th. Actually, I forgot to mention oh, that. It's oh, it's a the 13th. Friday the 13th. Anyway, so t- tonight, um, in keeping up with the spookiness of Friday the 13th, uh, Slashers on East Colfax, a little bar, is having um, beers and a screening of the Blair Witch Project, the old 1999 okay. classic. So, As one of the maybe the resident 1999. I know. I was like one of the resident <laughs> olds in this conversation. Yes. I remember when the Blair Witch Project came out and the marketing was so good I that I was, I we bought it. We all bought it. We were oh like, my oh my God, this is going to be a terrifying documentary. I remember I tried to go to the Mayan to see it and the line was around the block. So I ended up seeing Run Lola Run instead. I firmly believe that I, this that was one of those movies where I was like, that looks so scary. I would never, ever, 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 ever I was too, that. yeah, I was low key too afraid to see it. Fully convinced that if I watch it now, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> 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 Different vibe now. There's oh, so many yeah. of those like found footage movies. Yeah, People but it was like the OG. Was it was like it, it really like it was something like pre-internet-y that you were just they did it. They made a VHS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. It's a, a bar called Slashers. Slashers. It's just a fun little dive bar on East Colfax. So oh, it's cool. uh, near Colfax and Glencoe. Hmm. Oh, awesome. Nice. Okay. Yeah. okay, that seems yeah. cool. Yeah. Low key, laid back. Come hang out, idea. have a beer, and watch. The very old, the OG, <laughs> the, the Blair very Witch old Project. 1999 Blair Witch Project. All right, all right. Let's let's uh, let's hear the next one. All right, the next one is uh, an art exhibition uh, called Cool Facts on Colfax. So keeping with the Colfax theme, um, this is playing at uh, or exhibiting, I should say, at the Core Art Space, um, and it's a celebration. A lot of local artists just celebrating the history of Colfax. Obviously, if you live in Denver. It is, uh, we were just talking about jaywalking. That is my favorite street to jaywalk on. Yeah, um, Agreed. Yes. Colfax. It comes with a lot of cred. Deadly, oh, absolutely. Deadliest street Yeah, crying on Colfax is probably the most uh, <laughs> inconspicuous thing you could do on Colfax. It's true. A lot of people are crying on Colfax. No one will bother. Is that you. on the list? It's <laughs> a good question. I don't think it was. Well, you know, we haven't gotten to their fourth one, but I think what all of these events for this weekend have in common are all great places to cry. <laughs> All right, so so number three is an arts uh, Colfax themed art exhibit. Core art yeah. space is on West Colfax now, right? Is it one of the yeah. galleries that moved over to the Forty West? I yeah, it's in the Forty West neighborhood now. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. It's That's a interesting. it's a beautiful space. I think if you are, if you're uh, don't want to go to the dam and support them until they figure that stuff out, this is a great place. <laughs> you're supporting local artists, a local arts organization. Okay. All right. What's the last one? And the last one, well, of course, it's MLK Weekend. Um, And you know me, I love the stock show. I'm really, really excited for the African-American Rodeo this Monday. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, 6 o'clock, Denver Coliseum. And they have all the good stuff. They have the rodeos. Uh, Bree's favorite, mutton busting. (laughs) So cute. Get down there. Uh, And they're actually going to highlight a a legendary... A uh, black cowboy named Bill Pickett. Oh, of course, Bill um, Pickett Invitational Rodeo. Oh, that's absolutely. That's a regular I don't know that story. 
I'm interested in that one. I would like to learn a little bit more about that history. I think that might be my leader right now. I don't know. Anne-Marie, do you have a favorite so far? Uh, Do I want to cry on Colfax? Do I want to cry at the dam? (laughs) Do I want to cry? I was like, Paul and I went to the stock show earlier this week. It was so much fun. It's a blast. It really is. I don't think I've ever been, actually. Oh, you should go. I should. You Holy. should go. This guy, I, I might go for that. I might go for the, the rodeo. African-American rodeo yep. on Monday for MLK Man, Junior Day. Love if you it. haven't been to the stock show yet, no greater reason to go. This uh, is the me, one. That's my pick. I love it. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. There you have it. The official CityCast Denver may be for your weekend. But there's way more where that came from. Adrian's got plenty more recommendations in our newsletter, Hey Denver, which you can subscribe to right now by texting Denver to 66866. Adrian, Bree, Anne-Marie, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Happy Friday the 13th. That's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Aaron O'Toole. Adrian Gonzalez writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver, and tell your favorite jaywalker about us next time you see him. You can sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866 and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. See you on Tuesday. Remember, we're off on Monday. So I think that there's opportunities here. And what I'm saying is I, while the jaywalking thing is not a big, uh Oh, we're getting a phone call. Aaron just started playing piano. (laughs) 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 Aaron was playing us off. (laughs)